Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I mean, I was thinking in the dressing room, we've now both got into the phase of our lives where we're wearing colourful glasses. Yes, and I'm... An overly large colourful glasses frame. It's a certain fuck you to the world, isn't it, as a woman? Mm. And I've moved into the statement necklace as well. Oh. I haven't gone that far yet. My statement is, don't look at my neck. (laughs) (laughs) That is, it is a statement. And I also, feel like I'm you... regarding you like this, because these are bifocals. <laughs> you hit an age where you're just like, yeah, you're just like, fuck it. I think what the sort of uh, statement necklace, oversized coloured glasses, a chunky haircut, any of those things, it basically says, I've withdrawn from the race. <laughs> In terms of, do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not trying to hook up with you. That's what it says. But, but... I haven't withdrawn from the human race. <laughs> I now decorate for pleasure like some kind of, I feel like, indigenous bird. <laughs> that is... I dress like a parrot in a laundry basket. Hello, Guilty Feminists. 
Last week, Cal Wilson's friends, family and wider comedy and feminist community said goodbye to her at her funeral and her memorial service. And while we are planning on doing a live show remembering Cal, uh, we thought this week would be a really good time to do a best of Cal Wilson. There's just so much amazing Cal content because we've toured together every year for years by the pandemic. So it was extremely difficult to choose a best of. Normally we do links between the clips, but today I just decided to say, look, here's Cal, here's some I'm a feminist, but here's Cal telling a uh, a really um, moving story on the first appearance ever uh, in Melbourne. She was on the very first ever episode of The Guilty Feminist recorded in Melbourne, uh, where Celia Picola was co-hosting and she was the guest. And then loads of her co-hosting, doing stand-up, um, just being her wonderful, funny, brilliant, genius self. She would write bespoke stuff for the show all the time, and you'll hear it in this episode, playing games with the audience, um, reading stories she's written. She was just such a talent and such a good person, and we all miss her so, so, so much. I was talking to one of her best friends in the world, Kirsty Wiebeck, who will be on The Guilty Feminist soon, and we were saying, like, it's really easy to beatify people when they pass away and make them out to be saints and and just ignore the parts that, you know, we don't want to think about at that time. But we were really, like, racking our brain to think of anything because we didn't want to dehumanise Cal and we wanted to say, look, she's a human being like everybody else, but we were really all struggling um, to say anything about Cal that wasn't about how kind and generous and warm-hearted and joyful and open and brilliant she was. So I'm not going to do any links. I'm just going to say all these episodes were recorded somewhere in Australia and New Zealand sometime since The Guilty Feminist started. Um, one of them's with Celia. There were other guests, but I think it's just me and Cal and Celia who appear. Just enjoy spending some time with Cal. She was funny. She was feminist. She was fabulous. She was fierce. She was a great friend. Enjoy. I'm a feminist, but once when I got pulled over for an illegal manoeuvre by a cop, I cried and said I'm just a mum, and he let me off with a warning. Oh! Oh, oh. Did you use the turn of phrase, just a mum? I did. Uh, it was a little more dramatic than I've just told you. I was going through a roundabout, and I wanted to turn left from the right-hand lane, which you can't do, but I was going to give it a crack. <laughs> I had my son in the back, who was two at the time, and so I go to turn left, and I get cut off by this old red station wagon, and even though it is entirely my fault, I give him the finger, I lean on the horn, and I go, fuck you, buddy! And then he put his sirens on, and... Oh! Was an undercover cop. No! And so... He was quite intrigued about how the morning was going and so he pulls me over. Whoa. He pulls me over and he opens the passenger door and I just started crying as a preemptive strike. Uh, <laughs> and also because I was mortified because I'm a good girl and so he opens the door and I just start crying. I'm like, oh, I'm, just, I'm so sorry, I got such a shock, you gave me such a fright, I'm just a mum, I'm just a mum. I'm like pointing at my child in the back. My child is like, what the fuck is this circus? Like, just didn't know. So well, was your child in the car when you shouted out, fuck, fuck you, you buddy. buddy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, there's other stories to talk about that too. So, uh, 
So this cop, this cop is like halfway into the passenger seat, and I'm just like, Mom, I'm so sorry, I'm just a mom, I'm just a mom, I got such a fright, Mom. And like he is frightened by how much I'm crying. I'm also frightened by how much I'm crying. Like I am fully committed. And he backs out of the car, going, You're all right, you're all right, you're all right. Oh. And then he comes back, he checks the registration, comes back to the car, and lets me off with a warning. And I was like, That should not have happened. Like that should I? Like that happened six years ago, and I still feel like I should send him some money. Like it was so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was so bad. Like, I so deserved to get a ticket, but I thought I'd got away with it, right? Because my husband wasn't in the car, and I was like, he's two. No one needs to know. Like, I'm not getting get mail in the letterbox, so no one needs to know. I was like, you know, Daddy doesn't need to know about that. That can be a happy surprise. Um, you know, like, we, we don't have secrets. We just have happy surprises. So I was like, well, that's fine. We don't have to mention that. But the problem was, it was a roundabout at our local shopping centre that we drove through every time we took my son to daycare. Oh. And so every time we drove through that roundabout for the next six months, you would just hear from the back seat, Mummy was bad. <laughs> something to tell Oprah. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but I detagged myself from a picture at a women's conference where we were all standing in front of a sign saying, empowered, not coward, because my ankles looked fat. They did, though. They really did, though. That's... See, in my head, I was envisaging the picture being, like, shoulder above. No, so, like, you just got, like, an ankle stuck no. up above, like... <laughs> and were you comparing ankles to other women, or was yes, it just... of course I was. That's all I do. <laughs> what? Who doesn't compare their ankles to other women? Absurd idea. I'm a feminist, but I am quite happy to tell a person in a shop who is trying to sell me something, if I don't want to buy it, I'll say I have to get permission from my husband first. Oh! <laughs> We've made this agreement, so if we have a tradie, like we had someone, like the neighbour down the back wanted to change the fence to like this horrible colour bond fence that we didn't want, and sure. he has my permission, he has my permission to go, my wife won't let me do that, I'm sorry. <laughs> so we are totally, we are totally, we've got each other's backs. Right, yeah. You, right you, in the patriarchy. You, you basically imply that you have a controlling marriage in order to get out of a difficult conversation or just learn to say no I don't want that I think I'm going to make it a challenge for one of these shows for you just to learn to say no <laughs> fuck you you're not Thank the boss you. of me <laughs> no apparently husband. your husband yeah. is <laughs> sorry we both stepped on each other's punchline there but it was the identical punchline so that's fine I'm a feminist but I spent longer worrying about what I was going to wear tonight than I did on my material <laughs> Well, it's worked out. Thanks. If you're, I... if you're listening at home, Cal is in a fabulous dress. That's yes, I bought it. it in Darwin. And the reason I bought it was that it was a hot day in Darwin because it was Darwin. <laughs> and I tried it on in a market and it was way too expensive. But after I'd had it on for a couple of minutes, I went, I've sweated in this. I have to buy it. <laughs> That's how Darwin gets you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but my friend, who was a famous actor was staying in my spare room on my futon for three months when he was renovating his flat. And when he left, I wanted to get rid of the futon. And so I found a fan site <laughs> where like about 24 women were obsessing about him, like in terrifying detail. And I phoned him and said, can I tell them I'm selling a bed you slept on for three months? and get a bidding war 
going on eBay. <laughs> and he said, if you split the profits with me, yes. <laughs> it was exploitative, but lucrative. <laughs> and in the end, I couldn't bring myself to do it, but what put me off was not that I didn't want to exploit women. It was that I was too scared for these fans to come to my house and collect it. <laughs> Because I thought it might be a misery situation where they just basically tie me down and go, get him here or we're going to cut your legs off. I'm a feminist, but I've owned this dress that I bought in Darwin for over a year and I've never worn it before tonight because I'm worried that the darts at the front of the bus to make me look like my nipples are erect. <laughs> padded bra, but I'm just worried it looks like they've forced their way through the fabric and they're like, here we are! I mean, it is a very good podcast. Yeah, no, it does, no. Well, that's why it's a great dress for a podcast. I'm a feminist, but this morning, when I went out for a run along Oriental Parade, I couldn't quite work out where I was supposed to run along the wharf, so I just followed a man. Oh! He was running too, it wasn't like he was just walking and I got up close behind him and I was like... You, did you go on the run of a man? No, he stopped running after about three minutes. I was like, oh, now where am I supposed to go? So I had to work it out for myself. Well, Turns out it's pretty straightforward. <laughs> you keep running down the incredibly straight bit of... No, there's all wharfy, any alley bits, and then you go down Oriental Parade, and there's a lot of people who lack spatial awareness. Mm. I'm not two, sure... Two people walking, a, one dog each, but they were in the middle when the dogs were taking up the rest of their life. I was like... I'm not sure they should call it Oriental Parade. I don't feel that's very culturally sensitive. Then you should have a campaign to change that. I'm a feminist. We could call it, uh, we can't really explain it, parade. <laughs> why? Because it's so we know, we know, we know, parade. What about it? Why? Because it's so idiotic when you run on it. Like, wiggly parade sounds even worse. The wiggles were very big here. Um, oh, someone actually screamed for the wiggles. Mm. I remember talking to a mum on a plane years ago and the new... Wiggles DVD was about to come out and she goes, there is no limit to what I would do to get that DVD early. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Yeah. Wow. Didn't even care which Wiggle. <laughs> I thought you meant like when parents go wild at those Christmas sales and they climb over other parents to get the last toy. I didn't think you meant like... They climbed over the Wiggles is I think what she was inferring she would be quite happy to do. Offer a Wiggle a sexual favour. Is that what she's saying? I think that's what we all got from it, wasn't it? I don't think the Wiggles do that. Do you think they're like Ken dolls and there's just... I, no, I don't think that, but I think more they'd sing a song about it. Do you know what I mean? I feel if I went home with a Wiggle after a big night out and, you know, everyone pairs up and you think, oh, I'll just go home with this Wiggle. When we got to the bedroom, they'd sing a song about consent. Like... Oh, it would be with like... With a guitar. Toot, toot, big red bra, something like that. <laughs> Hot potato, hot potato. I don't know the songs, but why? Why should we? Why should we not think that the Wiggles are sexual beings? Like, <laughs> they deserve bodily autonomy. There's, I don't know how we listen, got here. I never know how we got here. If there are any Wiggles here. listening, if there are any Wiggles listening, I'm sure you are fantastic just, in bed. It just, <laughs> except for Jeff. Except, wake up, Jeff! You could literally wind me up now by just making up songs. <laughs> and if the audience applauded, I'd be like, oh, that's another one. Mm. Big purple, purple turtle, roly-poly kettle. Um, th this one, you know, um, toot toot, you'll be surprised what Murray's into. 
Right, that's all we've got time for, everyone. I'm oh, so just... sorry. Um, well, that's funny you should be talking about wanting free stuff because I'm a feminist, but when I said on the Guilty Feminist podcast recently that I was obsessed with finding the perfect peg and oh that my I God. secretly hoped... Oh, my God, the peg again. People have been sending me photos of pegs. It's been amazing. Julia Gillard said she also wanted to find the perfect peg. I'm living in heaven. Are you going to DM Julia Gillard... She totally went, I'm obsessed with finding I the perfect know, peg as I well. Know, I'm, I know. I'm getting it as a tattoo. Um, right. When I said to the Guilty Feminist that I was obsessed with finding the perfect peg, and I secretly hoped a peg company would send me some perfect pegs, a peg company is sending me some no! pegs! And I know that that is an abuse of my power and privilege, but I regret nothing. Wow. Stainless steel rainbow pegs. No, I... It sounds amazing. It sounds but... like it's not just for the washing, is what it sounds like. If you know what I mean. And I think the wiggles do. Mm. <laughs> toot toot, you'd be surprised what Murray's into. You'd be really surprised. Jeff doesn't know it either, because he won't open his eyes. <laughs> I think there's a new show with you ad-libbing filthy wiggle songs. <laughs> I'm into it. Much like Murray, I'm a feminist, but tonight, backstage, our guest gave me uh, something called the Satisfier Pro 2 Next Generation. And if you don't know what that is, give it a quick Google. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, and I said to her, actually, funnily enough, Gina, my right-hand woman, gave me one of these for my birthday. And in my mind, it is in fact the answer to the question, it's 2020, where's my hoverboard? <laughs> because you will levitate if you use this. This is, this is not an ad, I was just giving one, this is absolutely not an ad. I, it, is a, it is an extraordinary thing, and it has sort of done away with the need for straight cis men, in a way. It's... So, so what you're telling me is the Satisfier Pro 2 can get things down off high shelves for you as well. Well, when I said this to my producer, Jeff, he said, when the Satisfier Pro 2 next generation can produce a tour, I'll get worried. <laughs> I said, well, the next one's coming with an attachment. So I <laughs> can't wait for the Satisfier Pro 3, which can book this stadium. Yeah. And co-host. <laughs> no, never. Oh, it's too quiet for that, I imagine. I don't know. It's not that quiet. Is it? Is it like... It's got a bit of a Black & Decker quality to it, yeah. Is it? The, the Black & Decker Satisfier like Pro. <laughs> it's a lot more like that. That's... That's it. That's what's... Yes. Actually, it's when it's on you... <laughs> you feel about what nice girls don't do? I was obsessed with being a nice girl and a good girl when I was growing up. My grandmother um, had many opinions on how that should happen and so I totally identify with all that stuff of you know not wanting to make a fuss and oh, I'm in a strange man's car and I'm a bit frightened but I won't say anything. Like, I could totally identify with all of that and it's only something now, now that I'm in my 40s that I'm trying to really not care about what people think of me and to really stand up for myself and um, look, I'm a slow learner, but it's exciting. Yes. Yeah, no, I felt the same. But do you ever feel like you learn it, and then you unlearn it again, and then you think, oh, I'm doing it again? 
Oh, yeah, the instinct to be nice because you want that man to think nice things about you even if you don't want to be with them. You know, that kind of stuff. It's okay to have that thought, but it's about how you deal with that or stopping it before it gets too far into a place where you're doing something you're not. I remember, I remember when I was in my early 20s, I was living in London, I was working in a cafe, I was living with this crazy Brazilian woman who knew all of these incredibly exotic people from fantastic lands. Like, I was like, oh, I've met a Brazilian for the first time in a Venezuelan. Like, it was so exciting. I come from a small country. Uh, <laughs> and I, she introduced me to this guy called Jorge from Spain, and Jorge was very brooding and would kind of, like, lean in doorways a lot and look at you under his eyebrows and was quite, quite attractive. Um, <laughs> That's a wonderful description. Oh, Jorge. Look at you under his eyebrows. Yeah, like yes. the kind of brooding in a kind doorway. of yeah, like I suppose it's maybe a double it's, frame. I like it. Maybe it's the kind of like rather than wearing a sunshade, his eyebrows yeah. were just big enough to shade oh, his face, so wow. he could always he'd always see you even in bright sunlight. Um, <laughs> I ended up going to a party with him, and I didn't fancy him. He was handsome, but I didn't fancy him. Uh, but I stayed over at his house because I was sort of too drunk to get the tube home. And so we were lying in his bed, and he started sort of busting some moves on me, and I was a little bit like, oh well, yeah, I am staying at his house, like I. I had that kind of, this kind of moment, and he, he kind of, um, he kept on trying to, like, we sort of smooched a bit, and that was okay, and then he started trying to have sex with me, and I was like, no, I'm not into that, and he kept on saying the sentence, oh, just let me put it at the entrance. <laughs> like he wanted to leave a bin, or a parcel, or something, like he was like, I'm sorry, you weren't at home, I'll just leave for it. I'll just leave it at the entrance. at the door. Yeah, yeah. Your neighbour will sign from the tip of my yes. penis. That's... And then, then I had this kind of realisation as he kept on asking if he could put it at the entrance of like, no, no, I don't. My entrance does not desire your presence. Like, it was, it was such a weird moment and it was a really clear moment of going, oh, why am I putting up with this because I don't want to hurt his feelings? Like, I'm sure yeah. he's not worried about mine. Like, all he's worried well, about is hiding the tip of his penis at my entrance. Okay. So did you not... Did you get I, out of I went, situation? Oh, I, I went, no, 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 I think. And fortunately, he wasn't a cock. He had one. But fortunately, he wasn't, well. you know, and he accepted that, and that was fine. And I went away the next morning going, that was a ridiculous situation to be in and to feel obligated, like, oh, I, I, you know, it, it would be rude not to. Well, yeah. this will sound bad, but I was going out with this with a guy. This was at uni, and he was the only blonde I've ever dated it was a disaster. Um, <laughs> ugh, triathlons. <laughs> no. We'd had, like, a date, and then suddenly he was introducing me as his girlfriend, and I'm like, sorry, what now? Okay. Anyway, but so we were together, but this is so bad. But... <laughs> is it about gherkins? No. I had sex with him when I didn't really want to because it was his birthday. Oh. I know. You don't have to do that. You can just get him a card. <laughs> proud of that but part of it was oh, I don't want to hurt his feelings mm. but, but I would not do that now yeah, no, yeah. no the, the so, desire to be compliant and I think we're trained as small children like, just girls to be nice be, yes. give them what they want be compliant and a part of that is when you're a small child being made to kiss relatives you don't oh, know very yes, well yes. and there's a backlash against that now where they say don't force a five year old to kiss their aunt or their uncle or their mm. grandparent because you're, what you're teaching them is they don't want to in that moment. They're shy or they just don't want the tactile contact and you're teaching them that to be polite, you should sleep with someone on their birthday. <laughs> That's sort of... Yeah, no, I mean, no one can argue that wasn't polite. <laughs> but I, I 
have a seven-year-old. I've, I've got a seven-year-old son, and I'm really adamant that he does not have to kiss a relative if he does not want to. So how do you manage the feelings there? So it's someone, maybe if it's your well, partner's the family. Of, the feelings of the fucking 50-year-old are less important. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because they're already dead inside. <laughs> and, you know, no, no, I'm agreeing with you, but I'm just wondering in the real world how you say it. How I, you I, I don't even know, because it's been so long and we've always done it, right. that, that I just say, do you want to give them a high five or a, a handshake, or do you, want to, do you want to give Gran a hug? And if he wants to, he'll hug her. But if he doesn't want to, he doesn't have to. And I'm really adamant with him that no one is allowed to touch him. Like I say, mummy and daddy and doctors if they're going to help you, are allowed to touch you, but no one else is allowed to touch you without your permission. I saw some of your new show mm. uh, the other day, which was brilliant, by the way. You should go and see Cal Wilson's new show. What's it called? Things I've Never Said. Things I've Never mm. Said, very much on in this territory. And you told a story about something that happened to you at high school which really resonated with me. I'm trying to get you to tell it now. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you to tell it. Consent. <laughs> I don't want to push you to tell this story from your show if you want to save no, it. No, no, because I won't tell a funny version. I'll just tell you what happened without trying to shoehorn gags into it. Um, so I wasn't one of the cool kids at high school. I was a nerdy drama kid. And in the last year at high school, I suddenly started to be on the periphery of the cool kids. And at our school, we were a music drama school. Kids would come from other high schools to do their final year at our school and do the music and drama courses. But the rugby union guys were the gods of school, the first 15. Um, I think they were called the first 15 because if anyone had counted to 15 it would have been a first so um, <laughs> the big guys they were the popular guys we started to go to the rugby matches because if you went to the rugby matches you could get invited to the after match party and you could kind of get into the cool group and so we started going along and there was this kind of acceptance that was starting to happen of me because it seemed very important as a teenager that you were accepted by the cool people and not just the lovely nerds that you hung around with and this thing started to happen at our school it was called the barracuda has anyone heard of a barracuda just by show of hands Great. So what happened was that if you were one of the girls that the rugby players approved of in some sense, they would grab you and hold you down and one of them would bite you on the ass hard enough to leave a bruise. Like, they didn't take your pants off or anything like that. They'd just bite you through your clothes, but it would leave a bruise. And it became... It was like the, getting the blue tick on Twitter. Like, that was the verification from the rugby team. And so I got given a barracuda. I was thrown to the ground. I had my arms pinned. I had my legs pinned. And I was bitten on the ass. And it was like this... I didn't know how to feel about it. I was like, ah, oh, oh, ow, that really hurt. And uh, that was weird. But now I guess this means I'm cool, so thanks. Like, And it never occurred to me to go home to my parents and go, I've just been assaulted by a rugby player. Like, now it's quite fashionable. You can do it. You know, it doesn't do you much good. But you can still do it. But, no. but it just didn't occur to me that that was something you would say and so I had this bruise on my ass for two weeks like teeth marks on my ass and people as you walk through the lockers people would go how's your barracuda cow and I was kind of like oh, I'm totally accepted and then they did it again they wanted to give me another barracuda I don't know like double verification who knows what but as they threw me to the ground in the common room and I had a rugby player holding my arms down and a rugby player holding my legs down and the third guy was going to bite me on the ass and I had Bruce at the front who wasn't a rugby player uh, he was smarter than the rugby players but he wasn't so smart that they had to beat him up so he was kind of like the ringleader and he was holding my hands down and he was in my ear going, are you mad, Cal? Are you mad? Are you mad? Because I'd started to struggle as they went to give me another barracuda. And I just suddenly went, I don't want this to happen anymore. I don't want to be bitten again. And so I started struggling. And then I had this realisation that I couldn't move. I was 
pinned down and then it just switched over into this mad fight or flight thing where I was really struggling I felt like I was struggling for my life like I had this fear of like shit I've got to get out of this and I was struggling with all of my might and I could not move and I had this horrifying ugly epiphany that if I was in this situation for real if I had three men holding me down that I would literally be fucked and I started to cry because I realised how vulnerable and powerless I was and I just cried, I just started sobbing and they all sprang back and they were absolutely appalled because I'd spoiled it because I had ruined the lovely, fun, funny thing that they were doing by making out that they had done something awful to me and I couldn't stop crying because I was so overcome by this realisation of my own vulnerability and I became this outcast for a little while because I had ruined things, because I hadn't been a good sport, because I had shown vulnerability and I had not let them just get away with what they wanted to do and... I could never explain to them. Like, I tried to talk to a couple of them about it to say what it felt like, but they're huge. Like, they were big rugby-playing men. Like, the only way I could have made them feel as vulnerable would be if I'd held a gun to their head. Like, that would be the only way that they could understand what it felt like to be that powerless. And I was out of the cool group. The horrifying coda to this is that about five or six years ago, my manager got a call from a guy who wanted me to do a gig for his industry night. It was like a horse racing industry thing. And it was Bruce. And the message that he left with my manager was, ask her if she remembers the Barracuda. And I still don't know whether he, in his mind, was going, I just want you to know that I've still got a little bit of power over you, or whether he genuinely thought it was a really lovely, fun memory that we shared. Like, it was, I remember that day you put your ass in my mouth. Like, whether to him that was like a fun bonding thing we did at school and I will never find out because of course I was like I'm not going to do your fucking gig like why would I in hindsight I wish I had like I wish I'd but then also the fear of getting up on stage and being tackled by the MC and being bitten on the ass again was kind of a bit of a it puts you off it does put you off I found that story so resonant Cal because I felt like it's a really graphic example of but it's a compliment because what those guys were doing was saying but we're going to make you popular but what they're saying is now you're in the cool tribe but we're marking you and we're doing something violent to you so that you know you're at the bottom of the cool tribe. You know you're owned by the cool tribe. And I feel that happens a lot with women, that we're sort of like, can't you take a joke? And if you're not a good sport and you don't laugh along, you're seen to have ruined the fun. Just a bit of fun is never just a bit of fun. Like, what the full sentence should be is, it's just a bit of fun for me. Like, I don't care how you feel about it, it's just a bit of fun for me. Like, it's never like... I've booked you tickets to Luna Park or we're having our portraits done by a chalk artist or something. It's never something like that. It's like, hey, guys, paintball. It's, ne- it's always like, you know, you're having your head flushed down a toilet or you're getting bitten on the ass by some necklace ass vampire. <laughs> so we did hope challenges. Do you want to do yours? Oh, yes. So my challenge was to try and articulate what I'm feeling hopeful about. And I was writing down all of these words that I was thinking about, that sort of hopeful things that I'm feeling. And I feel like a kind of learner feminist. Like, I feel like I've still got my P plates, so P standing for patriarchy. Um, (laughs) With my husband's permission. Uh, So I feel like I don't like confrontation. I don't like to make a fuss. I don't like to um, feel awkward. I don't like anyone else to feel awkward. But I'm realising that it's time to stand up. Like, it's time for me to start speaking up and start saying stuff that's important and that matters and to join in the other voices and to realise that, you know, I have privilege and that if I can use my privilege to amplify someone else's voice, then I should be doing that as well. And and so I was thinking all of these great, huge thoughts and I ended up writing a poem that sounds like feminist Harry McClary. 
Um, Harry McCleary, of course, feminist. Harry doesn't shave. Um, and also, this is not anything to do with what I've written, but I just want to tell you, uh, Harry McCleary was written in New Zealand. So the Donaldson's Dairy that Harry McCleary lives at is not a dairy farm, it's a milk bar. He lives at a milk bar. But it didn't work so well as Harry McCleary bar from Donaldson's Milk Bar. Doesn't work, doesn't work. Uh, but I just like to tell you people who are acquainted with small children and know about Harry McCleary, I'm so glad that I brought it up. So... <laughs> So this is my feminist Harry McClary poem. My hope for the future, here's what it includes. To validate women, to educate dudes. To stand up, not shut up, to step up, to say, this feminist bitch is not going away. To be louder and prouder, to take up more space, to meet hate head on and shout love in its face. To not keep my anger in cheerful disguise, to be one of the women, not one of the guys. To check on my privilege and note when it's there, to give up my seat, to give others the chair. If your struggles weren't mine and our thoughts are at variance, I vow that I'll bow to your lived experience. I celebrate feminists in all of our finery, the women, the girls, the people not binary, because we stand up, not shut up, we step up, we shout. We're feminist dudes and we're sorting it out. I loved that. We, we need to put that up somewhere because everyone's going to want that. I still think, have you had a feminist week or a guilty week? I think I've had a feminist week uh, because because of this podcast, as it happens. Stop it. That's the end of my story. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so what happened was last time, well, the first time I was on this podcast, I told a story about something that happened to me at high school, but uh, I was bitten on the ass by rugby players as a kind of friendship initiation. Mm. Uh, and it was called a barracuda. And I would have gone with something like, would you like to come out to the movies with us? As like a way to invite me into a friendship circle. But the no-necks weren't known for their thought processes. So... Uh, I was bitten on the ass. I told the story. I talked about, you know, how it had felt, how vulnerable I'd felt, how hard it is to describe vulnerability to big white straight guys. Um, and I talked about how, you know, just a bit of fun is only ever just a bit of fun for the person doing it. I told the story in my show last year, which was a big departure for me. Uh, in my comedy festival show, I talked about something that mattered to me and I felt vulnerable telling that story. But I was like, no, it's important that I tell the story. And uh, then I was waiting backstage and... I looked at my phone five minutes before I went on stage. I was just scrolling through news sites and I saw a news item with the headline Comedian Assaulted by Rugby Players. And I was like, oh, which team is it now? So many to choose from. And then I clicked on the link and there was a photograph of me. And what had happened was a journalist, if you're listening to the podcast, you can't see the air quotes, um, a journalist had listened to this podcast and written the story down as if I had given them an interview and it had just happened. And I lost my shit. I was like, oh my God, I felt so vulnerable. Again, a story about vulnerability had made me feel so vulnerable. It was a story about consent, taken without consent. Like it was just this, and I had this kind of like dizzy feeling backstage and then I had to go back on stage and tell that story. You know, I suffer from anxiety and the thing with anxiety is sometimes you're right. And so I was really worried that that, that story would cause me trouble and fuck boyo, did it. Uh, so... <laughs> I've just made up a new phrase. Fuck boyo. I like it. <laughs> it's I like of, it. It's yeah, boyo. It's kind of cowboy, but at the same time, sort of mm. Scottish somehow as well. Uh, so anyway, I so can't decide whether it's feminist because the male is the expletive, or whether it's not feminist because it defaults to the male. Just for the 
mere fact that I'm really enjoying saying fuck boyo, I think it's feminist. Feminist, go, um, we'll go with feminist. Who votes feminist? Who votes no? And who abstains? Money? Well, <laughs> money abstains. He abstains. Well, his name's Money. Oh, it's boyo. It's like fuck money. It's like, that's what he hears. That's what fuck he money hears. sounds much more menacing though, doesn't it? It like, does. Because he's here. Because really. he's yeah, here. Fuck yeah, money, no, we don't want to say that. We don't want to say that. It has brio to it, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking like that is a feminist T-shirt. Like next time we do a series of T-shirts, T-shirts, can boyo. we have "fuck boyo" written it? Fuck boyo. Um, okay, are we are we are we are we down with that T-shirt? Fuck boyo. Less people down with it, but me. No, no one's buying. They're being polite, but I'm going to have a warehouse full of them. <laughs> so nobody's buying it. They're like, sure we would, Cal, because we don't want to upset you. I'll but. have one in every colour. <laughs> um, I can't even remember what I was talking about now. I got so intrigued I'm by my so own. I'm so sorry. Fuck boyo. Uh, is anyone? Oh yes. So so uh, so <laughs> I've been telling that story on stage, right? And so uh, because I do have anxiety, it feels like a risk to tell it. But the thing that I realised from telling the story, you know, is that like if I look back with hindsight I go should I have told that story like what's the lesson I've learned should I be vulnerable like that but the lesson that I've learned from telling the story and taking the risk of talking about it on the podcast again is the lesson is don't check your phone before you go on stage oh so true A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hello, Guilty Feminists. This is Deborah. We had to cancel our Soho Theatre shows on the 1st and 2nd of November because I had COVID. I'm so sorry about that to anybody who bought tickets but we've hastily rearranged them for the 9th and 10th of November. We hope anyone who booked tickets can come back and we hope more people can come on this night. The amazing artist Lydia Petit is joining us on the 9th of November and the co-host on the 10th of November is Esther Manito. Watch our socials as we put the rest of this bill together. All shows are at 9.30pm and the bar will be open after the show. Please go now to SohoTheatre.com and get your tickets. I promise not to get COVID again. You can also get ad-free episodes of The Guilty Feminist from Patreon, Apple or Acast Plus 
And we'd love it if you could find a moment to leave us a five-star review and follow us in your podcast app, or maybe even tell someone. All these things really help other people find the show. And now, back to the podcast. I'm a feminist, but I did ABC Breakfast Television the other morning to talk about the Sydney Opera House All About Women Festival. And I did some cheeky bits to camera to see how I looked. (laughs) I just went, hey, like that. I mean, I did them as comedy punctuation, but really, I wanted to know how I looked. And were you happy? Were you happy with... I was, actually, because they spend ages on your makeup. I had, like, a team of people around me sort of pulling at my hair. Like, their makeup and hair people. like a pit crew. Like, all done in seven seconds. Like, It was exactly like a pit crew. It was exactly like a car pit crew of women around me transforming me. I was unrecognisable. I'm a feminist, but I thought I looked great because I was unrecognisable. (laughs) Well, that fits in quite nearly to my next I'm a feminist, but... I'm a feminist, but I could never go on I'm a celebrity, get me out of here because you're not allowed to wear makeup and I refuse to be filmed without concealer. You're not allowed to wear makeup on that show. No, you, you, that's a torturous show, isn't it? I mean, oh. on every level, sit in a basket of snakes while we laugh at you, and no fucking concealer. I mean, that is the. <laughs> that's tipping it over into another place. That's truly. Amnesty should have a look at that. Seriously, yeah. that is cruel and unusual if punishment. I, if I am being showered in maggots, I don't want to look like a panda. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. It's the minimum requirement. Now, what I, what I wanted to do was I wanted to read out some reality TV formats and I want you to yell out whether these are real or ones that I've made up so we can see just how far reality TV has sunk. So uh, if you think it's real, just yell out, real! And if you think it's made up, just yell out, made up. So we'll try that on the count of three, real. One, two, three. Real! One, two, three, made up. One, two, three. Oh, look, I, I fucked us up, I fucked us up. Fuck, boy, oh, did I fuck us up. Okay. Okay, the first one... I'm going to read the title and then the synopsis. I want to marry Harry. American women have flown to the UK to compete for the affections of a lookalike they think is Prince Harry. Real. Real. Uh, Right, so that was real, uh, but now that he's marrying an American actress, I think probably those women are going, fuck, I was so close. Uh, Shattered. Contestants have to stay awake for a whole week. Real or made up? Real. And every new parent is like, just have a baby. (laughs) Uh, Shitted. Contestants can't poo for a week. (laughs) I made that up. Uh, But also, that's just me when I travel. Uh, (laughs) Just just mucks my system up. Can't do anything. My lumens are all over the place. (laughs) Hopefully they're not getting involved. Like... (laughs) Very uncomfortable. Celeb air, real or made up? C-list celebrities train as flight attendants. Real. Uh, but isn't that just life? Like, that's just what you have to do after you've got no more TV work? It seems sensible to me. Is this real or made up? A bridal plasty. Brides compete in challenges to win procedures on their plastic surgery wish list. The winner gets her dream wedding and all the surgery on her list. Real? Real. I know, I know. We should all... We should probably all, like, take a slug of wine if it's real, shouldn't we? Because it's so depressing. Okay, next one. Rhinoplasty. Vulnerable rhinoceroses... (laughs) Wait. Wait. Use plastic surgery to deal with their insecurities rather than address the root cause. Made up. Made up. Rhinos are notoriously private. Uh, (laughs) 
Ash, the adult children of minor royals train as plumbers. <laughs> made up, made that up. <laughs> Would totally watch. Uh, okay, next one, real or made up, born in the wild. Couples deliver their baby in the great outdoors without the benefit of modern medical assistance. Sadly fucking real. Uh, I was watching a bit of that today and one of the women was like, we're gonna have this baby outside. And, uh, and then another one was like, did you pack my black sandals? And her husband was like, I didn't pack any shoes for you as they were trying to find a flat space in the middle of the woods. Uh, what are you doing? The whole world spends its time trying to birth babies safely and you're like, fuck that, I'm gonna go online some pine needles. Bird in the hand. Celebrities learn the ancient art of falconry. Unfortunately made up, but again, I would watch the shit out of that. Uh, dancing on ice, celebrities on meth go to a nightclub. <laughs> oh, how, how much would you watch? Like, that would just be... Next one, real or made up, I want a famous face. Young people get surgery to look like a famous person. Yeah. You are right, we are headed towards the apocalypse. Uh, feminazis, follows the lives of young women who are feminists but also love Hitler. <laughs> oh, you're horrifying me, I made that up completely. Uh, <laughs> My Bear Lady. Porn stars take acting lessons and do scenes from classic drama with actual actors. Sadly also real and quite, quite condescending. Uh, Royal Housewives of Windsor. Meghan and Harry star in the spin-off as they live the affluent lifestyle only the fifth in line to the throne can live. You just wait, it will be real in two years. Uh, special delivery, women in labour have their baby delivered by a surprise guest celebrity. <laughs> Made up. Uh, imagine if you got Trump, like he wouldn't be able to hold the baby in those tiny hands. Uh, this is one of my favourites, who wants to marry a milliner? Twelve women compete for the love of a hat maker so they can live haberdashery ever after. More, but I like the applause, so I'm going to stop there. I, um, I decided to, to um, shake things up a little bit. I, um, I went on a show, I went on a reality TV show. Having said I would never, ever do it, I would never, ever do it, I did I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. Although, by that stage of the pandemic, it was less I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here and more I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Anything. And I always said I'd never do it. I said I hated it, uh, but I did it. And, and it was the most bizarre, wonderful experience. Like, I had a great time. I feel like I've joined a cult with terrible catering. Like, I actually I had a great time. It was just like being on school camp, except, um, you know, you spent your day getting to know each other and occasionally one of you would be taken away to be vomited on. Like, it was just this bizarre, wonderful experience. And the, the twist of this year was that uh, there was a, a, a guy in there called The David who allegedly was a world-famous shoe designer, but the twist was... Was, he wasn't actually the David, he was just a David, a guy from the Gold Coast who had lied to us about his celebrity status. 
And I fell for it. I fell for it. I completely believed that he had 8 million Instagram followers and that he was a shoe designer. I was excited about the boots he'd promised me. I was so convinced he was really who he said he was that he invented a photo that was supposedly him falling down some nightclub stairs in front of Lindsay Lohan, and I said I'd seen it. I said I'd seen it, and not just once. He kept bringing it up, and I go, I know the photo. I've seen it. I've seen the photo. I've seen the photo. I've seen the photo. I've seen the photo. What I'm saying is, I'm supportive, but unreliable. <laughs> I, had, I had a great time. Obviously, there were, there were yucky bits. I had to eat a, way more animal genitalia than I'd ever intended to do. I just, I mean, who knew that turkeys had testicles? I mean, probably Mrs. Turkey, but I had no idea. Uh, it was like a tiny football. It was not pleasant. Uh, I also had to, eat, um, I had to eat a pig's penis. Not a sentence I ever thought I'd be able to say. And I don't know whether you know this, but pig's penises are corkscrews. Now, I had heard that, but I thought it was just pig hype. I thought it was just pigs trying to be interesting on Tinder or something. But no, pigs' penises are actually corkscrews, which I think is so they can um, impregnate sows and open their wine. And I can tell you with great confidence, I will never again eat another pig's penis. Or indeed any spiral pasta. People told me lots of stuff going in. I talked to a couple of friends that had done the show uh, and they said things like, oh, you're going to discover you're more resilient than you thought you were. You're going to come out with friendships that will last for life. But what no one warned me about is that now my husband puts absolutely no effort into cooking. He's like, well, I've seen what you'll eat. And I went in thinking that I would, I would hate at least two people, but I didn't. I loved everybody that was in there. The person that I was probably that had the least in common with and was like the polar opposite of me was Joey Essex, a very handsome English reality star, a man who's done every single episode of every reality show ever. Like, he was, he was fascinating to me. Whatever you talked about, he'd done a reality show on it. Like, to the point where you could go, I can hold my breath for four minutes, and he'd go, oh, I couldn't hold my breath for four and a half minutes, because I did a show called I Can Hold My Breath for Four and a Half Minutes. Like, he was incredible, and he was the most physically coordinated person I'd ever met. And just randomly, you'd be having a chat, and he'd go, I'm a really good skipper. <laughs> and you'd be like, how good at skipping can you be? And then he would skip, and you'd be like, you're a fucking great skipper. He was absolutely amazing. <laughs> He's incredible. I, um, I didn't win the show, but what I did was, I think my prize was becoming friends with Poe, Poe the chef, who is just, the best thing in the world is making Poe laugh. It's just fantastic. And I got to stay with her over the Adelaide Fringe Festival, and she let me work on her store. She's got a market store. And I was really excited about working on the store with beautiful pastries and pies and cakes and everything. And uh, my job was to wrap pies and shout out people's names. And when I say wrap pies, I mean wrap them up. I don't mean like, here's a little story about chicken and leek. I don't mean... <laughs> but I would if asked. So that was my job. I was really excited about it because it's the closest I've ever come to having a proper job. And what I discovered working at Poe's store was the very tenuous connection people feel with their own names. I was not expecting that. I was not expecting that. I got my little pie, my first little order. I wrap it all up. I get my little pie, take it out to the front of the counter, and I go, Christine? 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 And finally, after about seven minutes, this woman who'd been eyeballing me the whole time went, oh, that's me. <laughs> and like, I know I've got an accent, but I think that was recognizable. <laughs> I just I can't believe it. Like, if, I, if, I, if I've if i 
I've ordered something, I am poised like a meerkat riding a cheetah, right? Like, I'm there. I'm there. As soon as you get the cat out of your mouth, I've got my fucking pie. Like, I'm just... I just couldn't get over the number of people who were so relaxed about ordering. And, like, like it'd be like, oh, I've placed my order, now I'm off to start a garden. Like, just... just. And then, then they had another little parcel of pies, got a little bag of pies, they got up and they go, Stephen? Stephen? Stephen, Stephen, Ste- I started to entertain myself and I was like, Stephen, Stephen. Finally, after 10 minutes, a guy walks up and goes, have you got one for Stefan? I was like, is it spelt the same as Stephen? He went, I don't know. And I went, well, I don't know either. Have your fucking pie. I was so angry. And like, I get it, I get it, because I have a name that people get wrong, right? But I allow for that. I have a name that people get wrong. So if you call out Carol or Carl or Coyle, I'll be like, yep, if you, you could yell out cargo, and I'd be like, probably. Like, like just, just. <laughs> and then, my favorite though, my favorite was the last guy, the last customer we had, it was 12 o'clock. Everything had sold out of the store, because it was all, all so beautiful. Everything had sold out except for four sweet potato pasties in the pie warmer. There was no other piece of pastry in the store. It's four sweet potato pasties in the pie warmer. And a guy walks up to us and he says to Emma, who was the grown-up helping me, he said, what pies have you got left? And she said, we've just got four sweet potato pasties in the pie warmer. And he said, I'll have a steak and kidney pie. (laughs) And I said, not unless you're a time traveller, sir. (laughs) I mean, what it taught me is that people are adorable fuckwits. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. And I understand, I mean, I understand how difficult it can be. Like my son, my son is called Digby and, um, uh, he, he came to me the other day, he's 13, he came to me the other day and he was really serious and I was like, oh my God, what's happened? And he was like, mum, I'm thinking of using a fake name at Boost Juice. <laughs> and he, he said it to me as if he thought he was committing identity fraud. Like, <laughs> he goes, they never get Digby right, so I'm just going to go with a false name. And I was like, that's a great idea, that's a great idea. What, what's your fake name? And he goes, Kevin. I've ever met a 13-year-old Kevin. I think, I think Kevins are born at the age of 40, and then they're just 40 until they die. I think that's how it works. But we 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 went, we, we go to Boost Juice. The, he he orders. I pay. The one says, "What name is it under?" And she looks at me, and I turn to him and went, "What's your name?" <laughs> I just want to know what her side of that story is, like. Whether she's gone, oh my God, a a poor aunt with early onset dementia, or whether she's just witnessed human trafficking. I don't know what she thought. Um, I made a discovery this morning. I'm going to leave you with this discovery, and I can promise you that you will not forget this thing that I'm about to tell you. Even if you already knew this, you are going to go away, and this will stay in your mind, right? I made a very obvious discovery the other day, and and I was so, I blew my own mind. I was so enthralled by this discovery that I made. I went and Googled it to make sure that I'm right, and I'm right. The sunglasses are called Ray-Bans because they ban rays. Ray-Bans ban rays. They ban rays. 
sorts of people in here tonight. People are going, of course, that's why they're fucking called Ray-Bans. And the rest of us who are like, <laughs> I can guarantee that you will watch the rest of the show tonight. You will see some incredible feminists. You will laugh your asses off. You will hear some great music. But you could go out after that on a bender, complete bender. You could wake up tomorrow in a bush at four o'clock in the afternoon with your foot handcuffed to a bike that you don't own and a new face tattoo. One of your eyes is swollen shut, you can't hear anything. And the first words out of your mouth will be, they ban rays. <laughs> now, I understand that criticism is not just criticism from critics, but as a performer, I think of criticism as generally coming from someone who has been paid to tell me I'm shit. So uh, <laughs> I was thinking about all the criticisms that I've had in my life, not all from reviewers, but I was just going through the list of all the criticism that I've never forgotten. One piece was uh, when I was 17, we did a play at high school, and it was called The Insect Play, and me and my best friend were dressed up as Beatles, not like John, Paul, Ringo and George, but actual Beatles, and we had amazing makeup on, we had white face but then a black board around our face and big red cheeks and we gave our Beatles sort of northern accents from England because we wanted to make them sound really entertaining and afterwards the judge said it was entertaining but would have preferred regional Kiwi accents. And the thing is there's only one Kiwi accent and this is it. Uh, actually that's not true, there are loads but they all sound the same to you. So... Uh, <laughs> The reason I remember that so clearly is when we washed our makeup off, we, uh, it was such cheap makeup that we'd had allergic reactions to it. And so when we washed our makeup off, we just had rashes in the shape of the makeup. So uh, for the whole week, we looked like Beatles, even though we had no makeup on. Uh, one time, my older youth group friends were getting sick of me cracking jokes all the time, and one of them said, you try to be funny 100% of the time, but you're only funny 80% of the time. <laughs> Which at the time mortified me, but now, as a professional comedian, I think that's quite a good hit rate. <laughs> um, one time I was asked to MC the big gay out in Brisbane, which I was so thrilled to be asked to do. It was a fantastic day. There were so many gorgeous uh, drag queens, and I felt disappointingly and underwhelmingly straight. And uh, I'd been picked up from the airport by a driver, and uh, with a car, excitingly. And... Um, <laughs> Uh, sometimes, like, when you do a corporate gig, they send a car with a driver, and this time the driver had brought his wife with him, which you're not supposed to do, but that was okay. Hello, Frank. Hello, Robin. And uh, they dropped me off at the big gate, and they said, we'll be just here to pick you up afterwards. And I did the gig, and I tried my hardest, and it was crazy, and there was just lots of dancing and everything. And then when I got back into the car, the driver's wife went, well, we could hear everything. And when you got on stage, all we could hear was, It's like, you're not even supposed to be in the fucking car. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, my husband is a very beautiful man. He's very blunt. I uh, showed him a new top. It was kind of a peasant smock. I said, what do you think of my new top? He said, it's nice. It makes you look a bit pregnant. <laughs> uh, to which I replied, does it? That's nice. Good to have had 20 minutes wear out of it before I throw it away. <laughs> Um, my grandmother was quite a critical woman. Uh, she criticised me for being too clumsy, for not eating enough. She told me I was too short. My favourite two comments that she gave me, one was, it's wonderful that your parents can still be proud of you. <laughs> uh, 
And once when I went back home, when I was in my mid-twenties and I had platinum blonde hair, I hadn't seen it for six months, and the first thing she said was, they told me your hair was the same colour as mine, but it's not. It's dirty white. <laughs> to which I replied, that's because all the guys I've been giving blowjobs to don't wash their hands. <laughs> I didn't, but I had to do something to claw that back as a victory. <laughs> um, and there was a review that I got for a show I did 20 years ago. It was called Cal Wilson is the Antichrist. And it was about me being a born-again teenager. I was a born-again Christian. I saw the light and I switched it off because it was wasting electricity. <laughs> I did a whole lot of things. I talked about the Lord's Prayer and I rewrote it using audience suggestions. And I got a review that was so awful it made me cry for a week. Like I would get up in the morning, I would remember the review and I would just cry until it was time to go on stage. I looked for this online today, I couldn't find it, it's not online, but I do remember some of the lines. I remember it, uh, the one paragraph ended, something, 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 then descended into a hell where there are no laughs. Um, <laughs> which wasn't true, other people were laughing except for this woman. Uh, and then she quoted a bunch of the best audience answers and said some of the punchlines were her own. It was absolutely vicious, it was a personal attack on me and uh, because the newspaper that she wrote it for was the sponsor of the comedy festival they published a synopsis of the review every day for the rest of the week so uh, and the synopsis was even more distilled vitriol and like it was such an awful review I had people stopping me on the street to go what did you do to that reviewer like I'd start each show going has anyone seen the review and everyone would go yes and I go I don't know what I did to her I must have accidentally fucked her husband like I don't know <laughs> It was, it just destroyed me. It just killed me. And like, I'm over it now. Like, I realised that it was more about her than it was about me. Happy people don't try and stop someone from doing the thing that they love. Like, she offered no constructive criticism. It was all just a takedown. And so when I was looking for the review online today, I was sort of uh, half disappointed, half glad that I couldn't find it. And then I found an article written by the reviewer about how she and her husband were unexpectedly made redundant a couple of years ago. And I didn't mind that at all. Um, <laughs> Because there are great reviewers, like, don't get me wrong. And I also know that no one cares about reviews except the reviewer and the person getting reviewed. Uh, and there are lovely reviewers, especially the ones that have come in tonight. Uh, they are <laughs> so hot. Uh, so I thought what I would do is I would dissect the sort of reviewers that there are. So, like, a great reviewer doesn't necessarily give you a great review. They should definitely critique the show, and you should know more about the show uh, than what they thought of it. I was thinking how difficult it would have been if, like, the Judeo-Christian God had created the world but had accidentally created a reviewer first uh, like I, I don't know maybe that's what happened so maybe he made the first man and then he dropped him before he was fully dry and then when he went to pick him up he sort of stood on the head by mistake and then um, even though he popped the head back into shape by blowing into the mouth you know the way you can kind of pop a bottle out again like sort of, like blew the head out again but uh, there was still a wee crack in the back of the head and all the nice leaked out uh, sort of like the yellow leaking out of a cream egg so that would be the first reviewer uh, and so, <laughs> if God had created the reviewer first, the review of the world might have gone like this. In the hands of another deity, the world might have been created much more efficiently. I quite enjoyed the set design and lighting, but frankly, it's six days, it dragged on. <laughs> also, why put the day of rest at the end? We could have done with an interval. <laughs> and then if he'd started reviewing God's animals, like duck, a waterproof hen, one star. <laughs> A hippo with a unicorn complex. Could improve its appearance by getting a skin that actually fits. One star. Sheep. Inside out self-propelling Ugg boot. 
one star. Starfish, one star. of reviewing by reviewing things that aren't comedy as if they were comedy so I thought maybe it would be um, it would be easy to review a chair rather than try like to literally be an armchair critic so I thought I would illustrate the, the different sorts of reviews that there are so there are the fair reviews that admit their bias so they, they would say something like I disliked this chair I am more into beanbags <laughs> to its credit though the rest of the audience loved the chair and could not stop sitting in it <laughs> Not its target demographic, but if you enjoy chairs, you will love this one. <laughs> then there are the positive, supportive reviews. I've watched this chair grow from a piece of raw wood <laughs> to a plank, to a footstool, and finally to the armchair it was always meant to be. <laughs> I look forward to next year's chaise lounge. <laughs> and then there are the reviews that take issue with the fact that the chair is a chair. The chair disappointed with its use of stock standard forelegs, back and armrest. It's always great to see a chair that goes out of its way to have eight or nine legs. Or a hover pedal and uses video and social media. Well then there are the reviews that miss the point entirely. This chair is a shit table. There's no way you could fit six people around it, let alone host a dinner party. Next time, chair. <laughs> then there's the undercurrent of resentment review. I know a lot about chairs. I'm basically a chair myself. In fact, I'm a better chair than the chair I saw tonight. I am angry that the chair gets people to sit on it while all I can do is write about it. My head still hurts from where all the yellow leaked out. reviewer who's been seconded in because the proper reviewers are busy reviewing the rest of the furniture warehouse. <laughs> Cheers! They're not as good as AFL. <laughs> then you get the inexperienced reviewers who are also prone to the spoiler. I loved this chair. It was for sitting on. The highlight was the surprise bit where it turns out the seat comes off the chair and turns into a cushion. There were also some great surprise cameos from other chairs including secret guests, armchair, sofa and ottoman. <laughs> And then you have the personal prejudice reviewer. Chairs aren't funny. <laughs> All they talk about is periods. Tonight's theme is momentum, and I thought I was writing about momentum, but I seem to have written about something else, and I don't know what happened. Uh, but um, I started off trying to rewrite the story of the little red hen uh, getting momentum, but I don't know what she's ended up with, but we'll all find out at the same time. Once upon a time, there was a little red hen who lived on a farm. Every morning, she'd wake up at dawn, put the rooster back on snooze, doze off for another 20 minutes, then get on Twitter with the sparrows outside, and finally make it out of bed around seven. One morning she found a piece of corn on the ground and thought, with this corn, I could make some lovely bread. So she picked up the corn and went to her friends. Who will help me plant my corn, said the little red hen. Not I, said the lazy dog. Not I, said the sleepy cat. Not I, said the duck. <laughs> I've started, that's what it sounds like now. <laughs> well, said the little red hen, I'll do it myself. To be honest, asking other animals to help plant one piece of corn seemed a bit like overkill. But whatever, the little red hen was always trying to build a sense of community on the farm. 
after an appropriate time, I don't know how long, I'm not farm literate, the corn <laughs> grew tall and the little red hen said, who will help me harvest the corn? Oh, not this again, said the dog. Not me, I'm just back from night shift, says the sleepy cat. No, said the duck. <laughs> I'm sorry, I always sound so aggressive, it's just my voice. <laughs> so the little red hen watched a YouTube video and learned how to harvest the corn. Who will help me thresh the corn, said the little red hen. What even is threshing, said the dog. It's a process for separating the corn from the rest of the plant, murmured the sleepy cat. That's interesting, <laughs> said the duck. But you're not really getting the message, are you, hen? Fine, said the little red hen. I'll do it myself. And she took all of her frustration at the useless animals out on the corn and threshed the shit out of it. <laughs> Then, said the little red hen, who will help me mill the corn? Oh, I don't know why, fucking bother. <laughs> said the little red hen. And she set off to see if the animals at the farm next door would help her. When she arrived at the farm, she met a chicken and a turkey and a fox. Hello, said the little red hen. Are you going to introduce yourselves? No, fine, I'll do it myself. <laughs> hello, I'm the little red hen. Hello, said the chicken. I'm chicken Lickin. And hello, said the turkey. I'm turkey lurkey. Hello, said the fox. I'm foxy loxy. Jesus, Jesus said the little red hen. Your parents really shit at naming you, weren't they? <laughs> it's just your species and then a made-up word that rhymes with it and starts with an L. <laughs> You've got a point, said Chicken Lickin'. There's us, there's Goosey Lucy and Cocky Locky. <laughs> Although, to be honest, before we met him, we weren't sure whether he was going to be an actual rooster or just an overconfident man named Lachlan. names are made up L words that rhyme, said Turkey Lurkey. Wait till you meet Llama Llama. <laughs> and Lion Lion, interrupted Foxy Loxy. And Lion Lion, agreed Turkey Lurkey. And Lemming Lemming, mm, said Foxy Loxy. And Leopard Leopard and Lima Lima. Yes, said Turkey Lurkey. And you can't forget Lobster Lobster. Oh yeah, Lobster Lobster. He's hilarious. Great at opening beer bottles, but don't get into an arm wrestle with him. Turkey Lurkey and Foxy Loxy laughed and laughed and turned to see the little red hen's reaction. But she had already lost the will to live and had been cornered. <laughs> and had been cornered by Cocky Locky, who was hen-splaining to her <laughs> why her cornbread was never going to happen. Well, to be honest, I'm not sure that going around barn door to barn door asking random animals to help you with very specific and technical skills, you'd be better off Googling commercial bakers. And, you know, your quantities might be a bit of an issue. You're working with one corn kernel. They might need a minimum order of several kilograms. <laughs> Finally, the little red hen managed to get away from Cocky Locky by embarrassing him by saying she had terrible egg cramps. And she took her corn and she milled it herself and went back to her farm and she baked that corn flour with some milk from Cowie Lowie and an egg that she prepared earlier and didn't want to think too much about because it was a bit weird. <laughs> and then she sliced the bread and took it outside and said, who will help me eat this bread? I will, said the lazy dog. I will, said the sleepy cat. I've always loved you, said the duck. That will be $10.50, said the little red hen. And the cornbread smelled so good that the animals paid up without even questioning how they came to be using a human monetary system. <laughs> which could be due in part to the fact this last bit was written in quite a hurry. <laughs> and the little red hen kept planting and threshing and baking her bread and making more and more money and doing it all by herself. And she was getting lonely and she wanted a community, so she started a podcast called The Guilty Henimist. <laughs>
one point. That's the point. That's now a two-point situation now. And she started connecting with poultry all over the world and then she had another idea. She'd become the first little red hen to host her own TV show. And it would be lots of work and hard to do, but if one little chick could look up and see someone like her on screen, then it would be worthwhile. Right, said the little red hen, I'll do it myself. So that little entrepreneur <laughs> pitched a half-hour cooking format, teaching hens to cook using ingredients they could scratch up themselves. And that little red hen got the cooking show and it was completely vegetarian except for one episode when she had Foxy Loxy on and he tried to eat the camera duck. <laughs> and once she was on screen, she didn't stop there. She used her henfluence to get other poultry on TV. She was very popular with reality TV. She had my kitchen rules. <laughs> but her greatest triumph was a innovation show. A hen-based version of the block called the... <laughs> I'm so proud. <laughs> and as she looked over her wonderful hen community, she thought, well, I didn't have to do it by myself. Oh. Ah. <laughs> so that's amazing. The little red hen animist. <laughs> the guilty like, animist. Yeah, it's like if the little red hen was a feminist story. I mean, that's the point of what you're doing. I loved it. Do you know what you've done there? You've just pointed out to me what I did. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought I'd flex. I'd, I'd try out mansplaining to see what it was like. It's good. You're, you're pretty good. I see why men do it. It's fun. <laughs> it's enjoyable. No, I get it. It's what, sorry? Femsplained it. it. Yeah. Femsplained it, yeah. No, you I just femsplained her flimsplaining. Flim, blah, 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 blah. Flimsplaining. Mm. Flimsplaining is when you cough on someone while you're talking. <laughs> fatigue and I was thinking about like I'm just tired all the time but I have, I've been tireder than I am now and I was thinking all the times that I've been exhausted nothing's been more exhausting than having my baby when I say my baby he's 10 um, <laughs> no one had prepared me for how tired I would be after he was born like people said all sorts of things oh you know you'll feel this incredible love and you know it's quite hard sometimes but no one mentioned how tired I, this is how tired I was when I had my son he was about eight weeks old and I was up, it was 5.30 in the morning, and he'd woken me up, and I was holding him in my arms, just looking at him, going, I didn't know there was a 5.30 at this end of the day. <laughs> like, I just thought there was one before dinner, but it turns out there's two. And I was just looking at this, but I was so tired. We'd been up for about an hour, and he was grizzling, and I was grizzling, and I was just so shattered and just so tired that my husband walked into the living room and I went like this, huh. like sort of polite but distant, <laughs> because just for a minute, I couldn't place him. <laughs> I was literally like, now where have I seen him before? <laughs> was it at the doctor's? Like, and, like, I looked at that, and he knew, like he went, you couldn't remember who I was just for a second. <laughs> I was like, 
no idea, just had no idea at all, just so tired. And the tiredness went on as my son got older and I went back to work when he was eight weeks old because I was working on the radio and knew that radio money was going to run out and I had to get as much radio money as I could um, because there was no paid maternity leave or anything like that. So my husband stayed home and looked after the baby and so my most precious possession became my breast pump because I would go and work on the radio station and (laughs) if you were listening in Melbourne in 2009, in between the song, well while the songs were playing, I would have my breast pump on in the studio and so it would be like, and coming up, it's Katy Perry, I kissed a girl and then in the studio you just hear wah, 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 wah. and I had a lovely co-host who wasn't phased at all because he had a baby as well at the same time so I just use, <laughs> I always felt like I was um, doing something terrible to an air horn, like it just <laughs> in the radio studio, it was the least glamorous thing that had ever happened but the breast pump became the most important possible thing because I was expressing milk for my son because I had a whole lot of ridiculous mother guilt about being away from him and so <laughs> it was like, oh where's the breast pump, it was like it had gone from being oh my laptop was most important, where's the breast pump, is the breast pump alright and uh, this liquid elixir that took me ages to make was like the most important thing and I was driving home from the radio one day and my husband rang and he was in tears and he started the phone call with this sentence which was not a good idea. He started like this, something terrible has happened. (laughs) And I drove up onto the footpath and stopped the car. I went, what, what? Thinking that he was about to say, we don't have a child anymore. And he goes, I'm so sorry, but I knocked a bottle of breast milk over and it's all gone. (laughs) And we both cried. We sat there and we cried. And then I started to laugh because we were both literally crying over spilt milk. And then when my son was five months old, I, took a, I had a job on TV as well, and so I was doing the radio, and I was going to TV, and I got more and more exhausted, and I was getting up early in the morning and doing the TV, and I arrived at the TV studio in the afternoon where I was supposed to record the show that I was hosting, and I suddenly realised that I hadn't bought any bottles with me. I had the breast pump, but I didn't have the bottles. And so I started to have this meltdown in the corridor because I was so exhausted, I couldn't figure out what I should do. And our two producers, Bruce and Anthony saw me in the corridor kind of like and they went what's wrong and I went I just haven't haven't got any bottles and I haven't got no sterilized bottles I can't pump milk for the baby and they went what brand is it and they went Medela and they went stay there and they sent the runner around to a chemist shop to buy a microwave sterilizer and every different brand of bottle just in case they got it wrong and it was the kindest thing like to this day 10 years later every time I see Bruce I go you don't know what that meant to me you don't know it meant my boobs didn't explode was what it meant to me And it was such a kindness that they did for me. And I was able to express the milk and record the show. And it was really great. And I hold that as a really beautiful thing that happened when my son was five months old. And then about six years later, I ran into the cameraman who worked on that show. And he was like, we were catching up. How are you? Are we good? And he goes, oh, did you know that we had a bottle of your breast milk in the freezer at the TV studio for about six years? (laughs) I went, no, no, I did not know that. And he goes, yeah, it was in the fridge for a while. We figured you left it, and then we put it in the freezer, and then it was just there. (laughs) And it was a really weirdly vulnerable thing to know that something I had made out of my front was now in a freezer, and then when other people had got their frozen pies out, or like a popsicle, that they were like, Cal Wilson made that. Just so weird. And so I went, oh, what did you do with it? He goes, oh, we threw it out in the end, because we figured he's six, probably doesn't need it anymore. glad that they threw it out because it just gave me this this horrible image of like a rabid little comedy fan somewhere if they put it on ebay (laughs) someone's like 
left us on a weird image, didn't I? But uh, also my husband, <laughs> I discovered you have to be kind of nice about breast milk. My husband didn't like me calling it liquid cannibalism. Um, he found it upsetting. He found it quite upsetting. I've done a lot of things that he hasn't liked, but he was still married. It's nice. That is all I've got. Thank you very much. I was in the Planet of the Apes uh, in the 70s. I wrote episodes of Magnum PI, and I'm quite an annoyed record shop owner in Brisbane. Uh, also a doomsday prepper. <laughs> Who's written a book, because I've just written a book. Uh, oh, a plug. Um, I've just written a book, and my dad looked for it online and found the American man who's quite intense about surviving the apocalypse. And he didn't think that was for school-aged children. So who are too much. When I think about this, the first woman that I thought who was too much was Madonna. I thought about how when Madonna arrived, we were like, oh my goodness, she's not embarrassed about herself and she's, she seems to be enjoying sex and that's a little bit off, isn't it? Like she just seemed sort of so powerful. And, and what I admire about Madonna is that she has continued to be Madonna the whole time. Like even as she's got older, she's still Madonna. She's still out there flaunting her own sexuality. And uh, people have got cross about that as she's got older. They felt that she should just do what every nice woman does and just go invisible and fade into the background and maybe get some more cats and just shut up. And uh, she, she's, people are like, oh, she should start acting her age. Well, should she? Should she start acting her age? Oh, she should put it away. Oh, she should start acting her age. No one says that about the Rolling Stones, do they? No one says that. Mick Jagger and Keith Richards are out there on stage strutting around like two pieces of old bacon. <laughs> having a family, oh, she's always adopting orphans for attention, like, she's just, she's just giving people a lot, like, no one, no one, no one comments about the fact that Mick Jagger has children that are younger than his great-grandchild, no one, no one comments on the fact that he is just always impregnating women, it's like when you've gone on holiday and you've forgotten to buy a present, so you get one at the airport, it's like, I forgot to get you anything, I've got you a baby, like, you just always, that man scatters more seed than an angry budgie. from history and then I decided to think about women from fiction because I can do what I like and uh, <laughs> I'm trying to cover an awkward segue so I, I was thinking about how fairy tales would have been so different if the women in them had been too much like if they'd not even just been a little much but if they'd been like a lot much like a whole much if they'd been not as passive as they were like Cinderella like Famously, she was a drudge for her shit stepsisters, right? But what if Cinderella didn't go to the ball and instead she uses that time alone in the house to get her stuff together? She leaves town, she starts her own cleaning company and she's massively successful because of her, she's got an incredible team of mice and she has pumpkin-scented cleaning products. And it's an amazing gimmick and she just makes loads and loads of cash and years later, she reconciles with her stepsisters after she takes them to a guilty feminist show. <laughs> And they realise they've been behaving like shits and that women don't need to compete against each other for the attention of a man. And then in an even bigger twist, the prince comes to work for her because the country disassembles the monarchy. And <laughs> he falls in love with her and for her actual personal proper real qualities, not her ability to jam her foot into a glass stiletto. <laughs> which is impractical and dangerous. And she turns him down because work romances are never wise. <laughs> and also, her fairy godmother has introduced her to Glinda the Good Witch and they've hooked up. 
also uh, Snow White, uh, she's a beautiful young girl. She's got a wicked stepmother who's also quite hot. Uh, she's got a magic mirror. Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? Every day the mirror goes, it's you, queen. And then one day Snow White just gets a little bit too hot and then it's her. And so the stepmother does the sensible thing and decides to have her killed. Uh, and so the huntsman takes her out into the forest, but he can't kill her because she's too pretty. I mean, it's good to have a great reason not to murder someone, isn't it? Just that they're attractive. And so he doesn't kill her. But the stepmother finds out because the mirror is still like, it's still Snow White. And what the huntsman could have done is said, no, no, she's dead, but you know, you still look all right for a couple of days before things start to go really wrong. Um, too much? So what happens is she ends up living with the seven dwarves and the, the stepmother finds out she's still alive and she poisons her with an apple. And Snow White falls into a coma. And what do the seven dwarves do when they find her in a coma? They don't take her to a hospital. They put her in a glass coffin. Like, guys, like, essentially, instead of getting medical help, you've put her in a terrarium. Like, she, she's not a lizard. I mean, and one of the dwarves is literally called Doc. Like, he should know. Like, like I, mean, I don't know, maybe they asked him, and he's like, oh, well, I'm not actually a doctor, I'm a vet, but I've got aspirations. Like, you know, like, I think all she needs is a heat lamp and a rock. Like, the condensation. It, like, just... <laughs> so they've, they've gone off to work and they've left her outside and she's in a glass coffin and a prince finds her. And what do you do when you find a woman in a coma in the forest? You keep her. You just keep her. You don't try and get help, you just keep her. And then you get one of your staff to take her back to the castle. He trips, the apple dislodges from her throat and she wakes up. And then what happens? The prince proposes to her. Like, that's quite a wake-up call, isn't it? Like, you've been in a coma for a few months, you wake up to someone going, I love you, will you marry me? And you're like, oh, shit, I've got terrible morning breath. Like, what? What she should have done when things started to go wrong with the stepmother is gone to a lawyer, got illegally emancipated, and just lived her own life. But instead, she's lying in a box with seven tiny men in a forest. <laughs> then we go to Hansel and Gretel, abandoned by the dad at the behest of a wicked stepmother. Once he quite a lot of wicked stepmothers in fairy tales, or just one woman who keeps going around and marrying widowers. Like, she just... <laughs> like, if that was now, she would be on the front page of the Daily Mail with the head like, Stereo Stepmom! Like, and then the big quote from the king, like, oh, I, she fooled us all. I never normally abandoned my children, but she was just so hot. <laughs> so Hansel and Gretel. There's a woman living on her own in a cottage made of gingerbread that she's presumably designed and built herself. And then Hansel and Gretel turn up, and instead of acknowledging her as the renowned biscuit architect <laughs> that she so clearly is, they start chowing down on her house, and she's all like, what the fuck are you doing? I'm supposed to be filming Grand Designs next week. <laughs> and they're standing there with their mouths full of door panel, and she's like, I put my heart and soul into this college. I spent 18 months living on site in a leaky marzipan caravan. each other's skills, like the witch, whose name is Janelle, by the way, but no one asks. <laughs> she would have realised Gretel's resourcefulness, and Gretel would have admired the witch for being a self-sufficient single older woman ploughing her own furrow, which now that I say it out loud, uh, sounds oddly sexual. <laughs> I hadn't intended it, but I'm going to follow down that road, because yes, she's an older woman 
who spent years learning her own body and why should she be ashamed of fulfilling her own needs? And why shouldn't she enjoy trying out new things with the farmer that lives down the road? So, planning her own furrow in a society that believes she's intrinsically holding no worth because she's not young and attractive and marriageable or actually married. If Gretel had been a bit more much, she would have understood the mentoring opportunity. She would have worked with Janelle and after an extended apprenticeship building bread houses, which was mutually beneficial to the both of them, they would have opened a chain of tool bakeries called Hot Cross Bunnings. Uh, for UK listeners, that's B and Q, uh, but it stands for bread and quiche. <laughs> I haven't forgotten about Hansel. Um, he refused an apprenticeship, went backpacking for a while, came back, couldn't really settle. Who gives a fuck? Uh, <laughs> so, I was thinking about how, how much Shakespeare. Shakespeare could have been improved if women were a bit more much in Shakespeare. I was, I was intending to rewrite The Taming of the Shrew, uh, which is like the most problematic Shakespeare, which is sort of all about gaslighting a woman and humiliating her and then, yes, she wants to marry you. I was going to rewrite it so that uh, Kate gives Petruchio the flick, gets a zoology degree and domesticates a species of small angry mammals, so it literally is The Taming of the Shrew. But <laughs> I got sidetracked on researching shrews. Uh, I really show loose and hurrying along. <laughs> so this is what I found out. While rodents have gnawing and sizes that grow throughout life, shrews, teeth wear down, a problem made much more extreme because they lose their milk teeth before birth. What the fuck are they doing? <laughs> they teeth before they're born. Like, that is, that is like hardcore shrewism. Like, what is, like, that is... Kudos, shrews, that's what I'm saying. Like, they're also fiercely territorial. They drive off rivals and come together only to mate. Shrews can have up to 10 litters a year with gestation periods of 17 to 32 days. They often become pregnant within a day or two of giving birth. Male shrews are assholes! It's no wonder they're trying to live alone. Like, for fuck's sake, give the woman a break. Like, let her put her feet up and don't come near her. Uh, shrews live from 12 to 30 months, but with that many kids, I imagine it feels like decades. Shrews are unusual in a number of respects. Unlike most mammals, some species of shrews are venomous. Amazing, pregnant and venomous. That is a dangerous combination, isn't it? Like, oh, don't you make me angry or I will poison you. Uh, I love that uh, one of the chemicals that you can extract from shrew venom may be potentially useful in the treatment of high blood pressure or useful in the treatment of neuromuscular diseases and migraines. The shrew is a magical, angry animal. Like, what a fantastic... Don't tame that motherfucker. Like, you can't. They're distributed almost worldwide, but only New Guinea, Australia, and New Zealand have no native shrews. Uh, obviously, or we'd have, we would have been called Shrew Zealand uh, <laughs> and Papua New Guinea pig. <laughs> uh, and in terms of species diversity, the shrew is the fourth most successful mammal family, rivaled only by the muroid rodent family, the bat family, and the Kardashians. <laughs> but the Shakespearean story that could have been so different if a woman had been so much more much would be Romeo and Juliet. It's sold to us as a great love story. But a great love story isn't one where both people die. <laughs> like, that's not a good end to a love story. A great love
love story is one where you both want to be better people because the other person makes you feel like you want to be the best person, the best version of yourself that you can be. A great love story is one where you're on the couch and the cat's asleep on your knee and your partner goes, do you want some chocolate? And all you have to say is law of the cat. And he knows that it's illegal to move a sleeping cat. (laughs) And he gets the chocolate from the fridge where he keeps it because he knows it tastes better because you told him that and he's (laughs) not a fool. A great love story is one where two people or three people or a mutually agreed upon number of people respect and love each other for who they are and nobody tries to change anybody unless that person is too drunk to change themselves (laughs) and has requested that you put them into their pyjamas. That is a great love story. So if Juliet had been a bit more too much, imagine how the balcony scene would have gone. She's out there, she's on the balcony, she's having a cheeky cigarette. She's a teenager, you can't tell her what to do. You know, maybe, okay, maybe it's not a cigarette, like maybe she's vaping, like she might be vaping out of a bat or so. I don't know what they have, I don't know what they have, but she's vaping out of a bat on the balcony, she's got too much eyeliner on, she's written I Heart Queen in permanent quill on her arm. She's trying to take a selfie, but she can't hold the painter up for long enough to get a good one. And then there's this sort of rustling in the bushes, and for a start, she doesn't know if it's a hedgehog or if it's just someone calling for Russell. And he says the immortal lines, but soft, what light through yonder window? I don't know, I've made him sound like a radio announcer, but that's what he is. <laughs> but soft, what light through yonder window breaks to the east, and Juliet is the sun. And Juliet, this Juliet, there's so much Juliet says, Son, are you misgendering me, Romeo? I'm a daughter, not a son. And he goes, No, 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 you misunderstand me. Well, he's a bit more formal, so he goes, Thou misunderstandeth, sweet Juliet. <laughs> Poetry's lark hath compelled my boyish heart to compare thee to the fiery orb that doth blaze across our skies within the regular hours of daylight each day. <laughs> I did smelly posit that thy heavenly body was the heavenly body, hence tis the east and Juliet is the sun. And Juliet rolls her eyes and she's like, oh, settle down, Romeo. <laughs> it's not the sun, it's a sensor light. to be historically accurate, a sensor light would just be an elderly servant kind of lashed to a trellis with a candle on his head. <laughs> She's like, it's just a sensor light. Dad's been worried about prowlers, which was just you climbing up the ivy last time. Like, you could at least have taken your shoes off, you fuck the jasmine. <laughs> anyway, what do you want? And he's like, obviously I don't have time to go through the whole play. <laughs> so Romeo just says, long story short, let us in secret hasten to the friar. Mary, have a series of misunderstandings, then dispatch ourselves in that house of God, tragically, romantically, beautifully, with the sting of a blade and poison. And Juliet looks at him and says, Sweet Romeo, are thou out of thy fucking mind? (laughs) A, I like you and everything, but suicide, really? And B, I'm 13, I'm not marrying anyone. And then she says, see, you also murdered my cousin last week, so you're not exactly my first choice in a stable husband. I mean, <laughs> your methods of conflict resolution are frankly appalling. And then she goes, I mean, we can absolutely pash, but that's it, and I'm not touching you on the bodkin. <laughs> and then she adds, also, when you said we should go to the fryer, I was totally expecting chips. And the play ends with Romeo pleading with Juliet to marry him again and she swats him off the balcony with a leaf rake. (laughs) So what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, I think we should be too much. I think we should be more. I would like to see more heroines who are too much. Like, we've got to break through the ceiling of the glass coffin. Like, if you want to vape a bat on your balcony, vape a 
fucking bat on your balcony. And I can guarantee that it's not a sentence that has ever been said before. Thank you. Guilty Feminist is provided exclusively from Acast. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.